3,000 years ago, David uh, wrote these incredible psalms of praise from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They, they use no words. No, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Psalm 33, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all He does. The Lord loves the righteous and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. And they speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And the prophet Isaiah writes, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket? Or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And spreads them out like a tent to live in. May God bless the reading of his word. Father God, we, we humbly, we joyfully come into the presence of an awesome God. God, you are so awesome, so incredible, so majestic. Lord, there is none like you, God. There's no one that compares to you. You are beyond our comprehension. The mere fact that we right now are either standing or sitting on this, this, this huge rock, that's spinning a thousand miles an hour right now, that's circling around the sun at 66,000 miles per hour, God. And we don't get it. We're just kind of like floating out there, but yet you hold everything together. God, you are before all things. You're over all things, God, and you hold all things together. And God, I pray that your majesty and your glory and your power and your wonder, God, that we'll stand in all of you today, that we'll see you, as the awesome God that you are. And God, help me, Lord, help me to do this. Help me to point to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to week four of getting better at what Jesus says matters most. I understand 2,000 years ago when, when God wore flesh and, and walked this planet, he told us what the most important commandments are. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And listen, if, if you get better, not perfect, but better, if you get better at loving God, loving others, and loving yourself, you will, in a new and fresh way, begin to experience the fullness and abundance of life that Jesus came to bring you. And you will live better out there because you are better in here. Get it? Good. And now for the last three weeks, we've been focusing on the commandment about getting better at loving yourself. So let's do some review. I love review. All these messages are on our website. I encourage you to check them out if you missed any of them. So uh, to love yourself, you must, first of all, you must plunge the depths of the Father's love. Uh, understand, the Father's love for you is beyond reason. It's unconditional. It does not make sense. It, it, all the dots do not connect. It does not diminish when you fall, and it does not expand when you, when you fly. Uh, the Father's love for you, it delights in you as a groom delights in his bride. It, it's a love that is for you. It's a love that pays attention to you. Uh, other people may not notice you. They may ignore you. But the king of glory pays attention to you. You are the apple of his eye. The father's love for you is a love that constantly pursues you. To love yourself, you must push through insecurity, which is everybody's problem. By, number one, by, by resisting, replacing the lies of the enemy with the truth of God. By refusing to drink the deadly toxin of comparison. God did not create you to live somebody else's life. God created you to become you. And then by seeing yourself through the undistorted photoshopping lens of the Father. And to reject the lenses that this world will throw at you and the enemy, right? You know the lens that's distorted? The lens that says, I am what I do. I am what I have. And I am what other people think. To love yourself, you must accept that loving yourself is essential, not selfish. Bottom line, if you are ever going to get better at what Jesus says matters most, you need to start getting serious about loving yourself, about being okay with you. For to love yourself, you have to go back in order to move forward. Understand, you need to, you need to examine the scripts that your past has handed to you and see, that, see how they are impacting your today. And I've talked to a a bunch of people the last few weeks are doing just that. They're going back in order to move forward. They're going back and maybe visiting some lives they heard growing up so that they can move forward with their life today. Um, number five, to love yourself, you must use 1 Corinthians 13 as a template for loving yourself. You know, am I patient and kind to myself? Um, do I not get easily angered with myself? Uh, do I easily... Let go of the, my mistakes and my failures. And six, you need to let God's approval become your validation. Brendan Manning writes, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. God's love for you and choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that. Let it become the most important thing in your life. Seriously, if the Sovereign king of the universe has validated your ticket, approved. 
You don't need anybody else's validation. You don't. You don't need your moms, your dads, your, your, your husband, your kids. You don't need anybody else's validation because you've already been validated by the one who matters most. Now, now it's okay if other people validate you, and it, and if, and it can feel good, but, but you don't need it because you've been approved by the king of the universe. Get it? Good. Hey, let's do that repeat back that I do every now and then that fits right here. You got God's validation. I matter. To God, God. and that's all all. that matters matters to me. me. We'll do that one more time. I matter matter. to God, God. and that's all all. that matters matters to me. me. You've been validated by God. I I, I understand. Guys, I'm totally convinced that it's necessary for me to continually remind you of these things so that the commandment to love yourself will be at the forefront of your mind. Uh, so that you will experience the joy, the power, the peace, and the freedom that will be yours when you love what God loves and God loves you. I got to keep talking about this so that loving God as you should and loving others as God intends will be a blessing, not a burden, an opportunity, not an obligation, a, a delight, not a duty, a joy, not a job. And again, here, here are those books that I recommended that will help you in, in this journey of becoming the you God wants you to be. They're up on the screen. I got this little, you know, unevenly cut card in the back you can pick up, right? Uh, that, that has those books on there. I, I'd recommend every one of these books. I'm rereading this one right here by John Ortberg. Great book, Me, um, the Me I Want to Be, Becoming God's Best Version of You. Great book. He's very authentic. This is my original copy from seven years ago, and and, and seven years from now I, I want to. Get, I've made more progress than I did since then. Um, but it's a great book, and uh, I'm studying with a friend of mine right now. We're doing two chapters a week. Great stuff. Now, this morning, we're going to begin looking at getting better at loving God, and we're going to unpack a conversation that I'm calling A God Worthy of Your Love. And, and, and listen, my goal this morning is, is to make the case that our God, that the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is a God worthy of your love. And, and, and my my case consists of two arguments, two core qualities about God that should cause you to both fall on your knees and worship him and reach out your heart to love him. Question, why is God worthy of your love? Well, basically because of the two truths found in that little prayer that many of us learn to pray as kids at the dinner table. God is great and God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Right? I mean, it should rhyme, right? Why didn't it rhyme? It seems like it's supposed to rhyme. Maple Grove, our, our God is great. Hey, check out this video uh, about his greatness. Amen. Uh, the psalmist was right. I, I mean, he was dead on. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and his people are like grasshoppers. He he stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Uh, Understand, brothers and sisters, we are here this morning worshiping a God that is far beyond anything we could ever dream or imagine. A huge, majestic God of infinite grace and glory. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, just waiting for things to be unleashed. And God said, let there be light. And there was. And listen, at that very moment, light came out of the mouth of God, traveling at 186,000 miles per second. Understand, if you want to know how great our God is, all we need to do is to look up. Now, we live on a planet called Earth that's located in the Milky Way, one of the billions of galaxies in the universe. And, and let me just say that uh, the Milky Way galaxy is like, it's like really big, right? It's like huge. It has a diameter of 100,000 light years. Now, as you know, a light year is how far light travels, you know, moving, light moving at 186,000 miles per second, how far it travels in a year. And that would be 5.88 trillion miles. So the Milky Way is huge, right? 100,000 times 5.88 trillion miles in diameter. Uh, our God is great. And listen, Psalm 33 verse 6 says that with very little effort at all, I mean, God didn't even lift the finger. He simply breathes out stars. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host, by the breath of his mouth. Are you kidding me? Let me tell you, stars are huge. I, I want to talk about three of them this morning. Now, our closest star is the sun. It, it, it's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on its surface, right? It, it's 93 million miles away, which means that it takes eight minutes for its light to touch our skin here in Charlottesville, Virginia. And check this out. If the earth, which is, earth is pretty big, right? Uh, 24,000 miles around. And this picture of the earth was taken by the Apollo 17. You know, if the earth were a golf ball, okay, for the rest of my conversation, this rep will represent the earth. Everybody try to find yourself on the earth. Okay, you got it? You find yourself? Good. Again, if the earth were the size of a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay, you're not that impressed. All right. Uh, what, what, like, I put a little mark right here, right? And I go over here. There's another mark. Okay, that's 15 feet in diameter, right? So it's, it's pretty big. It's pretty big. You know, the, the sun is, is like, is a, is a pretty big star. You can see a comparison right here. If the earth were a golf ball, you know, 960,000 golf balls would fit inside the sun. Okay, a lot of golf balls. In fact, it's enough golf balls to fill an entire school bus, right? So what you, what you want, I want you to do tomorrow is uh, get your golf ball and go up to a school bus and put it next to it, right, and, and, and see how, wow, the sun is pretty big. Now, the second star I want to talk about, when I first heard about it, it blew my mind. I mean, it was, it was my personal Job moment. You know Job, right? He begins to question God. Hey, God, why is this stuff happening in my life? God, I think you could use my advice how to run things. You know, and God listened for a while. And then God just says some cool stuff in chapter 38 to Job. Uh, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you ever commanded morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Where does light come from and where does darkness go? Where is the path to the source of light? Tell me if you know so much, Job. 
Can you direct the movement of the stars, Job? Or loosen the cords of Orion? Yeah, yeah, this star blew my mind. Who am I to question God, right? Who am I to think that I can give God advice on, on, on how to run things? And uh, the star, it's called, it's called Beetlejuice. It really is. Beetlejuice. And, and it's part of Orion's belt. And the dude's got a big belt. He needs some Nutrisystem or something, right? And, and, and uh, here's what it looks like in the night sky, okay? I know it's not that impressive, but hey, give the guy a break. It's, after all, it is 427 light years away. That's 5.88 times 427 trillion miles. And again, this sucker is like really, really big. In fact, it's two times the size of, not the sun, but it's two times the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. It, so the Earth could revolve around the sun inside the star with another orbit to spare. It's 561 million miles in diameter. And our God simply breathed it out of his mouth. Insane. And listen, if Earth were a golf ball, Beetlejuice would be the height of six Empire State Buildings on top of each other. And if that doesn't blow your mind, I want you to hop in your car this week with your family and your golf ball. I want you to drive to New York City, go to Midtown, walk up to the Empire State Building, take your golf ball, put it up next to uh, Empire State Building. Don't worry, you won't look weird or strange. You are in New York City, right? Nothing's weird or strange there. Then I want you to walk across the street and spot your golf ball, look up to the top of the Empire State Building, and imagine five more on top of that. That's how big Beetlejuice is. Now, if you don't want to make the trip all the way up to New York, here's what you can do. You can take your golf ball, and you can go to the intersection of Profit Road and 29 right out there. Put your golf ball down. You can rent one of those lovely hot air balloons, right? Go up into the sky, spot your golf ball there, 29 Profit Road, and then spot the exit off 29 that goes into the Camelot subdivision 1.7 miles up the road. That's how big Beetlejuice is. 262 trillion Earths would fit inside of it. If the Earth were a golf ball, uh, that number of golf balls would fill the Superdome three thousand times and God simply breathed it out of his mouth are you kidding me I understand it's not twinkle twinkle little star how I wonder what you are no I know what you are and you are huge intense massive and ferocious just one more star remember we've not even left our own neighborhood yet the Milky Way and I just read about the star this week and let me tell you this star blew my mind to the 177.432 power. It's 3,900 light years away. It's one of the largest stars in the Milky Way. It's part of the Canis Major constellation. Its name, Canis Majoris, right? And there it is on the screen right there. And here's a picture of it next to our sun. And there really is a dot somewhere on our sun. The Earth War Golf Ball. Canis Majoris would be as high as Mount Everest, almost six miles above sea level. And check this out. Seven quadrillion Earths would fit inside of this star. Now, quadrillion, that's like a a crazy number. Hard to get your mind around, right? Everyone knows what a million is, right? And a billion is a, a thousand million. 
a trillion is a thousand billion, and a quadrillion is a thousand trillion. Okay, so like a, a million seconds ago would be 12 days ago. How about a billion seconds ago? How far would that be? Now you're thinking, hey, maybe last August. How about March 1979? How about a trillion seconds ago? What would that be like? And you're like, okay, I'm, I'm catching on here. Uh, how about Columbus? No. Jesus? No. Moses? No. A trillion seconds ago is 29,000 B.C. How, how about a quadrillion seconds ago? 30,800,000 B.C. Like I said, a quadrillion is a huge number, and seven quadrillion Earths would fit inside of this one star that our God simply breathed out of his mouth. How great is our God? And if earth were the size of a golf ball, it would cover the state of Texas 23 inches deep. And we're just talking about a couple stars and one of among a billion galaxies in the universe. And you know what? When I I consider all this a, a... a, a shrinking feeling comes over me, and it's not a bad kind of shrinking. It's actually a good kind of shrinking because sin has a way of shrinking God down in our mind and puffing us up in our own estimation. But Maple Grove, just a glance, just a glance up at this universe that our God has made resizes everything in a heartbeat. I mean, you realize, don't you, that we are worshiping an unrivaled and uncontested and indescribable and incomprehensible God of all kind of might and power and glory and all. And there's no one like him in all of creation. Amen? Listen, we're not here today worshiping some teeny tiny God. No, we are the teeny tiny ones. We are small and weak, fragile and frail. I mean, we, we, are, we, we are just one of seven billion people on this golf ball-sized planet in a massive universe that God has made. And yet, and yet, though we are but a vapor, we are marked by majesty and have been created in the very image of the God who breathes out stars and put the universe in order. Yes, you and I have been fashioned and formed by the God of all creation. And as David said in Psalm 139, uh, the star-breathing God knit us, knit me, and knit you in our mother's womb. Understand, there is a miracle of creation sitting in this room today, you. Now let me take you back to your very beginning. Okay, this is how you happened. One cell from your dad... That one cell from your mom, each cell carrying 23 chromosomes, the cell from your dad had half of his DNA, the cell from your mom had half of her DNA, and they merged into one cell, and at that very moment, a new DNA code that never has and never will exist began to be written. And I want you to check out this video of you, right? The journey that you took and what it looked like in that journey. As God knit you, you're going to love the first pictures of you. It looks just like you. Man, you're looking good. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable from, from oneself. Brothers and sisters, our God is worthy of your love because he is great. And, and to see his greatness, all we have to do is to look up towards the heavens or look in at our own body. 
Now, by any human standards, the human eye is a marvel. It's made up of 100 million cells. There are 7 million special vision cones that fire up information to the brain whenever any degree of light comes their way. And, and here's a little trivia. On average, how many shades of color can the normal human eye distinguish between? How, how many think around 100? How many think between 100 and 500? You know what the right answer is? A 1,000. Average human eye can distinguish between a thousand different shades of color. And beyond that, our, our, our eyes are the most sophisticated, auto-focusing thing ever designed. Think about it. You can be in a restaurant, one minute you can be reading a, a menu on the wall, then you instantly, in a millisecond, focus in on the, your dinner companion, and then you can look down and spot the hair that is in your salad, right? You know, And we can do that just like that. Right? No man-made device can or ever will be able to match the complexity, sophistication, and effectiveness of the human eye. In fact, one scientist said many years ago to suppose that the human eye, with so many parts all working together, could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Uh, a guy by the name of Charles Darwin actually said that at the end of his book, <laughs> uh, Evolution of the Species. Consider your heart. It's been perfectly designed to pump 2,000 gallons of blood a day. Your heart beats 100,000 times every day, 3.6 million times every year, and it generates enough pressure that it could actually squirt blood up 30 feet in the air. Now, I've never tried that, and I don't recommend it, all right? Uh, uh, look at the kidneys and lungs. Your lungs are more than air sacs. They're designed to filter oxygen out of the air you breathe. Uh, these organs contain 300 billion tiny blood vessels called capillaries, and your entire blood supply washes through your lungs every few minutes. I read that an adult human brain contains over 100,000 billion electrical connections, more than all the electrical appliances in the world. Your tongue has 800,000 taste buds. Eating would be born without it. And check this out. If the DNA in your body, all your DNA in your body was placed end to end, it would stretch from here to the moon 500,000 times. And if the densely coded information were placed in typewritten form, it would fill the Grand Canyon 50 times. Yes, to see the greatness of our God, all we need to do is to look up towards the heavens, look in at ourselves and to Look around at the incredible earth that surrounds us every day. Did you know that a caterpillar has 228 separate and distinct muscles in its head? That's a lot of stuff for a bug. Average elm tree has approximately 6 million leaves on it. And how about how plants defy gravity by drawing up water from the ground? Or, or what about the simple fact that that plants take in carbon dioxide, which is harmful to us, and produce oxygen, which we need to survive. Now, I'm sure you knew that, but yet, have you ever stood back in awe and just marveled at it? That God did that? And these poison-swallowing, life-giving plants began from a tiny seed that was placed and planted in dirt. God is worthy of your love because he is great. And again, to see that greatness of our God, all we need to do is look up towards the heavens. Oh my goodness. Look in at the wonder of our own body and look around and see the incredible earth that surrounds us every day. Next, God is worthy of your love because he's good. Now, the word good is used several times in the creation account. In fact, 
after every day of creation, God says that it, it was good. And, and now I think most people take that to mean that God looked at the handiwork, his handiwork, and thought, this, hey, nice job, you know. Like we would say after we painted a room and we built something, right? Hey, that's good. Or like me, whenever I make a Facebook post, right? I, like, I make it and I like it, right, every single time. I don't know why I do that, but I do. It's like, it's good. But, you know, that sounds kind of silly when you start to think about it. God saw that light was good, like he didn't know it was going to be good until he paused to look at it, like it was an experiment, like he was surprised, like he tried before and it wasn't good, and this time he got it right. Some people say that, well, when it says it was good, it, it meant it was morally good. Well, dry land isn't morally good or bad, right? It's just dry land. But God declared it good. Good for what? Good for who? For God? I mean, did it benefit God, the division of land from the sea, or the creation of birds and fish? Was it for God that certain plants are good for food and and others just beautiful to look at? Would God who is spirit benefit from, from either? Now, the scriptures say that all creation declares God's glory, but exactly who hears this declaration? We do. I understand, God declares each phase of creation good because it was good. It's good for us. You see, when you see a majestic waterfalls or a snow-capped mountain, guess what? That's for us. The seasons that enable us to plant and to harvest, those are for us. The variety of fruit and vegetables that we enjoy, they're for us. The fish, the shrimp, the lobster and scallops, I love seafood, those are for us. The mountains, the beaches, the lakes, rivers, streams, desert plains, rainforests, sunrises and sunsets. Yeah, God made all of those for us. Why is God good? Because he's good to us. I mean, think about it. He didn't have to make it so awesome, right? He, he, he didn't have to make sunrises so beautiful. He, he didn't have to make, you know, a, a, a fresh strawberry taste so good. But this is good. What he did. Because he's good. Now in Psalm 145, David not only talks about God's greatness, great is the Lord, most worthy of praise, his greatness no one can fathom, but he also talks about God's goodness. They will celebrate your abundant goodness. Abundant goodness. And David goes on in that psalm to declare, to list, to celebrate Various examples of, of God's abundant goodness, and he invites you and I to celebrate them as well. Psalm 145, verse 89. David writes, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Anybody know what mercy is? Mercy is what? Not getting what you deserve. Do you ever celebrate church that God does not give you what you deserve? You should, right? And we should celebrate that every day. His mercies are new every morning. How about grace? What is that? Well, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Anybody thankful that the star-breathing God is slow to anger? And that his love is steadfast and unfailing, unchanged and unbounding, unstoppable and unconditional? Our God is good and worthy of your praise because of his mercy, his grace, and his steadfast love. Amen? And you know, I, I think the story of 
the prodigal son just shows how good God is, right? I mean, here you have the son, right? He leaves home, takes his inheritance, leaves his dad, and he, he goes to a far place. He, he doesn't call, he doesn't write, he doesn't text, he doesn't FaceTime, right? And he blows all his money by living a very immoral life. Hits rock bottom. Decides, I'll go back home. Maybe I can at least be a servant at my dad's house. When he gets home, his dad says what? I will have none of that servant stuff. You're not a servant. You're my son. Bring the sandals. Bring the robe. Bring the signet ring. And slaughter the fattened calf because my son came back home. What a crazy good God he is. In verse 12, David celebrates another facet of God's abundant goodness. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving towards all he has made. God is loving, you know, that 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love towards all that he has made, and that includes you. And God, David said, keeps his promises. You know that promise that God causes all things to work together for the good? God will keep it. You know that promise in John chapter 14 that Jesus is preparing a place for us and he's coming back one day to take us to be with him? God's going to keep that promise. You know that promise in Revelation chapter 21 of a new heaven and a new earth, of everything being made new, of this place with them where sorrow, death, dying, or disease, God will keep that promise. You know that promise in 1 Corinthians 15 of this new body, God will keep that promise. And that promise in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 of God splitting the sky and us And our loved ones who've gone before us, meeting him in the clouds and being with the Lord forever, God will keep his promises. God is good. We should celebrate that. And check out the goodness of God that David is celebrating in verse 14. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts those bent beneath their loads. Do you see the picture David's painting? And do you ever, do you celebrate it? This God that we worship, this star-breathing God, does not use his greatness to control and subjugate his people, but rather to love and to take care of his people. God is worthy of your love because he is a God who comes to your side when you have fallen. Because because he's a God who, who lifts you up when you are bent beneath your load. When it's just too much that you're carrying. Ever been there? Are you there now? Guess what? So is God. He sees. He cares. He upholds. He lifts. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 16, David celebrates yet another facet of God's abundant goodness. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Our God is so good. God God longs to satisfy your desires. He he longs to to quench your thirst. He He longs to fill your hunger. He longs to do for you what he did for a broken lady in John chapter 4. He longs to give you living water so that you will never, ever thirst Again, what a good, gracious, mighty God we serve. And David concludes his psalm of celebration with these words. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He hears their cries and saves them. 
The Lord watches over all who love him. Are you kidding me? This is insane. This God who breathes out stars like Canis Majoris. Now, this God who, who spreads out the heavens, and they're still spreading out, right? It's still expanding. He's still spreading out the heavens. This great and powerful God is a God who also is near to all who call on him. And in Christ, not only is he near, but he, he, he comes to live inside of us. He, he hears our cries and longs to save us. You know, to save us from a life lived without his abundant goodness. God wants to pour out his abundant goodness on you. He wants to pour out his mercy and his grace. He wants to be able to be there. To behold you when you fall. To lift you up when you're down and burdened. What a crazy God. It's ridiculous. I mean, think about it. You know, if earth were a golf ball, I mean, God's bigger than me holding this. Like, like, how can we doubt him? How can we question him? This God who's before all things, over all things, and holds all things together. Man, it is so humbling, you know, and I feel so inadequate to try to get you to understand for a moment how great and awesome our God is. I hope and pray that that the awesomeness of God just brings you to your knees. You just want to worship him. You want to stand in awe of this God who created this universe, who knit you in your mother's womb and created this incredible world that, that you get to look at, that you get to live in every day. Every day is a miracle, right? And, and I pray that his goodness, man, all he wants is your best, moves you to reach out to him. He is a crazy God. One of the craziest things ever, right? Like this star-breathing God, this universe-stretching God, this ocean-holding God decided one day, you know what? I'm going to put on human flesh. You kidding me? I'm going to limit myself from my vastness to just a human body. And beyond that, I'm going to allow that human body one day to be beaten, brutalized, ripped to shreds, nailed on the cross because of his intense love for you. That's insane. This God who breathes out stars became, humbled himself, became a man, and humbled himself to the point of death on a cross because he loves you. Because he wants to be with you. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we stand in awe of who you are. God, your greatness. It's crazy. Again, we're on some hunk of rock, spinning around the sun, floating in space. I have no idea how that works. But you do. And you hold us. And you hold this universe. And this is your world. And you're in control. And God, I thank you for your goodness. 
I thank you, God, that, that all you want for us is our best. And God, that there's not a person in this room that you do not love and that you do not want to pour out your abundant goodness on them again and again and again. God, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy, and for your steadfast love for us as we hurl around in space right now. In Jesus' name, amen.